Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. It's page 8 in the Pew Bibles. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Amen. Good morning. Welcome. My name is Matt. Glad you're here today, Sharon. Thanks for uh, the reading this morning. Uh, let me pray for us now before we look at these verses together. Gracious God, we know that you've caused all scripture, uh, your holy word, to be written for our understanding, for our learning. And we uh, pause and pray right now that you would uh, once again enable us to, to read and note and to learn and, and really take in inwardly so that we might be encouraged and uh, supported by your word. We pray that you would enable us to take hold of these things, even if uh, with uh, the weakest of grips that we would take hold of and that we would be helped and strengthened by faith so that we might hold everlastingly so to the joyful life that you've promised us in uh, your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. How do you, as a Christian, uh, make sense of life when there's a big gap between what you believe uh, God has promised to you and what you're actually experiencing uh, in life? Because perhaps it's been a particularly stretch of discouraging months for you. You've uh, once again exemplified your commitment to Christian things, to doing things as God would have you call, as God would call you to do them. But uh, in the end, you're not getting what you had hoped for and what you wanted out of life. And of course, there's perhaps this cruel irony that people that you have in your life who, who pay no attention to God, who live very irreligious lives, they seem to be living the good life. And it leaves you scratching your head saying, well, I don't get that one single bit. 
How do you, as a Christian person, make sense of life when there's a huge difference between what God has promised and what you see and feel in your own life? In many ways, that's what Abraham, comma, the man of faith, is wrestling with in Genesis chapter 12. As we begin to read about this life-altering moment that he has with God, when God promises to do something almost indescribably good to him and through him, But then as you keep reading the story, you discover that this promise that God makes to him takes a long, long time before it actually comes to fruition. Actually, decades of time before he sees it finding fulfillment in his life. And in that decade of like waiting and trying to make sense of it, Abram, he he doesn't handle the tension very well. Uh, In fact, we're going to see that on more than one occasion, he puts his wife in grave danger. He nearly gets his own self killed. In other words, we see him exemplifying faith in God, but also being fickle and doubtful and foolish. And in that way, you're supposed to go, oh, you mean he's a lot like me. Exactly. Perhaps you have these moments where you exemplify faith, and then the next thing you know, you falter. This is uh, Abram. In fact, chapter 12 is really those two stories. It splits into two parts. This week, we'll look at verses 1 through 9, and you'll just see this way in which, in a remarkable way, he exemplifies faith in God. And then next Sunday, you come back, and you just see him making a mess of it because he's overcome by fears that undermine his faith, and he ends up uh, causing great trouble. And in that way, uh, this chapter in Abram's life, it shows us uh, that there is sometimes a delay. And sometimes... What God is doing in that delay is growing character. He's taking you through experiences that make you distinctively, distinctively uncomfortable so that you won't uh, double down in your own confidence, but you'll find yourself drawing near to God in dependence upon Him. That is, in fact, what God is doing in Abram's life. He's promised to do something great through him, But in terms of where he is in in faith and development, he's not ready for all of that to come upon him. And so there's a pause. And in that pause, God is growing and increasing faith. And what God does in uh, Abram's life is what he may in fact be doing in yours and mine. Uh, The commentator, Ian Duguid, he puts it like this. The situation in which we uh, find ourselves may very well be part of uh, God's preparation for us for the task to which he will call us to at some point in the future. But it may be only as we look back that we will come to understand how it all works into God's plan for our lives. This line right here. In the meantime, we may simply have to cling to God, believing, though not fully understanding. Clinging to God, believing, yes, but not fully understanding. That that is where Abram is in life. He's not yet seeing the big picture. He's walking along the path of life by faith. And that is actually very much the part of what God is doing. He's using the means of uncertainty to increase faith and trust in him. Now, as we re-enter into the story of Abram's life, our narrator just propels us to probably uh, the most important uh, moment that Abram has ever had in his life in verses 1 through 9. God appears to him, and he extends to him this invitation in which he says, if you'll trust me, I'm going to use you to, I'm going to bless you and use you to bless other people. I think it's worth giving just these first couple of verses. One more read for us in verse 12, in chapter 12. Give him a listen. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Just brings us to this big idea this morning. In response to this invitation from, from God, we see how Abram exemplifies faith. He's a great example to us in these things, in the way that he exemplifies faith. Now, by way of just a couple initial observations to the story, here, here I think are a couple of things that stand out by way of interest. Uh, first of all, uh, we have no idea how all of this transpires. Uh, the narrator just simply says, Now the Lord said to Abram. Uh, he doesn't have some special connection to God. You'll recall at this point, Abram doesn't even know the one true and living God. Uh, he is not a worshiper of uh, the monotheist uh, type of the Lord. He's a worshiper of many gods. If you wanted to put it in contemporary terms, if he drove a Ford pickup truck, he wouldn't have a little Christian fish and ichthus on the back of things. He would have a coexist or a tolerance bumper sticker. This is this is where Abraham is in terms of spiritual things. He is a, a worshiper of many gods. And that's what makes it so startling that the one true God appears to him and says, I'm going to do something good through you, but not because you're a particularly good person. Another matter of interest in this encounter is that you actually have no idea what Abram is thinking. I don't know if you caught that, but if you look through those first 10 verses, there's no inner dialogue that our narrator lets, in, lets us in on. We don't have, find out how, Dave, uh, how uh, Abram has like a, a processing conversation with his wife. It, it all falls into the background. Because what our narrator wants us to see, I think most clearly, is that what we conclude about Abraham is by way of what he does. He hears from God, and he does what God directs him to do. Now, I think surely at some point, uh, Sarai uh, must have said, what in the world are we doing? And he sort of clued her in on the conversation. You're not going to believe this moment that I had, quote, with the Lord today, but, but for now, all of that is kept from us. We actually see the stirrings of faith in Abram by way of what he does. Faith leads to action. It leads to activity. It's an outcome of faith. But as you think in uh, this one-way conversation uh, that you're having here, one of the words that is repeated often is that God promises to bless Abram, to, to bless him, and then ultimately all the nations of the world through him. You know, of course, that bless is a, it's a cultural word. It's a common Christian word. A co-worker sneezes in the cubicle next to you, and you say, oh, God bless you. And they say, oh, thank you. And then uh, you, though, later on use bless in a different way, perhaps downstairs today, and you say, I just want to tell you how I've had a sense of God's blessing upon my life. And there's various ways in which we use it. And I think quite obviously, uh, God is using the word blessing in a much deeper way than just in response to a sneeze here. In fact, the Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman says that if you actually want to understand what the word bless means, it helps to turn back just a couple of pages in the book of Genesis. He said because uh, what you discover is the way that God creates Adam and Eve in a blessed condition. Life is good. They have this uh, harmonious relationship together. They don't squabble uh, with each other. 
all of their, their physical needs are met. There's a sense of, of shalom, of peace. Uh, there, there's the physical, the spiritual, the psych- psychological, uh, even the material. The scene in the garden, is that a blessing? It's all very, very good. It's humanity living at its fullest. But then while uh, Adam and Eve are created in this blessed condition, what happens is that the rebellion against God's authority, I think it helps just to think about it this way, it forfeits the blessing and turns everything into a curse. So really by the time uh, we get to the third chapter in Genesis, Adam and Eve are no longer in a harmonious relationship with God or with, the, or with each other. Even their physical work is, it's difficult. Their labor, it's fraught with, with difficulty. So what's blessed becomes undone. In many ways, something is tarnished. Things are, are lost. And a major theme that develops in the book of Genesis is that is of God's redemptive plan to restore a relationship and blessing with humanity. And he's choosing Abram to be a vehicle through which he will bring blessing to the world. If you just stand back and take in the big picture storyline of the book of, of the Bible, and particularly Genesis, what you see in Genesis 12 is like nothing short of a new beginning for humanity. That's about the best phrase that I can give you, that Genesis 12 is a new start for humanity. You read the first 11 chapters, and you discover how slow and steady and shocking is the spread of sin. But now, God steps in, and he brings the process of recreating a people. He begins the process of recreating a people for himself. And so he blesses Abram and turns him into a vehicle of blessing. He's a living model of what God intends life to be like for us. This is the significance, the theological significance of what's happening in Genesis 12. Blessing is coming back to God's people. So if you like keep all of that in view, then it helps to move into the details of this conversation that we have in here. Because in order for Abram to be on the receiving end of this blessing, God says, I'm going to have you uproot and go elsewhere. And you'll note in verse 4 that this decision to respond to God, it's seemingly without delay. I don't want us to miss that. He picks up immediately, and he starts off to a new land, because this is what God told him to do. He doesn't hem and haw. Well, I know God said this, but you know, maybe I'll have a coffee first, and then I'll do that and check my email. No, it was super clear for him. And in that way, it's a really clear example to you and me. He responds immediately to what God has called him to do. And his response is that of obedience. Delayed obedience would have been a version of disobedience. And so he's going to have none of that. He's very instructive to us. He, He obeys what God tells him to do. Another important detail is tucked into verse 5 as our narrator informs us of the people who are who are with Abram in this great uh, cross-country adventure. So I have Sarai, his brother's son, Lot. This is foreshadowing on the part of our narrator, the characters who are going to play an important part. And they've got just a tremendous gathering of possessions and people that they've acquired in Haran. In other words, I don't think we're to picture uh, Abram as, uh, as a lonely nomad. We're to think of him really more as like a powerful sheik who lives in the Middle East. Uh, Later on in a moment of conflict, he's able to marshal 318 soldiers uh, from his own people. He's powerful, well-to-do, 
and then taking this 400-mile journey from Haran to Canaan, sheep and goats, dangerous, and all the rest. A difficult journey because sometimes obedience is, is difficult. Not to mention, of course, the fact that Abram's no spring chicken. He's 75 years old. You go, well, didn't people like live to a million years old in the Old Testament? Well, yeah, they lived longer, but I think still 75 is, is getting on in things. And it's just this subtle reminder to us that we're, we're never too old for God to do big things through us. Never too old for God to do big things through us. So there he is. He's got his, his map in hand, getting his bearings. I know I'm supposed to go south to Shechem. There's the rising of the sun. Sarah, I promise I'm not lost, at least not yet. Are you doing okay? Okay, let's, let, let's get going on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. You know, I'm sure he was the first singer of these things, a, a 400-mile journey. So they go, and then they make a pit stop in a place called Shechem, which is a, a, like a place with a national religious monument of sorts called the Oaks of Mora. It's where there was a shrine that the Canaanites put up to worship their, their pagan gods. It happens in passing, but it's very significant because as they arrive, their narrator just adds ominously, at that time, the land that God promised to Abraham was uh, full of residents from the Canaanites. So if you were like reading this thing with a soundtrack, uh, they roll in at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. I think you then hear the music, dun, 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 because our narrator is going, are you ready for this one? The land in which the Lord is leading Abram is occupied by Canaanites. Again, so obedience might be fraught with challenge and difficulty. Yeah. Here are these descendants of Canaan whom God, whom Noah had cursed. So this land is promised to Abram, but someone else is tented up on the space. Again, we don't know about the attitudes of the Canaanites at this time as Abram is wandering around, but I think we can reasonably assume that they weren't too enthusiastic about this new man on the block who thinks he has a special corner on the homeland. You feel it even more because modern history makes it easy to visualize the situation when you understand that ancient Shechem is now located on the disputed West Bank where there's great tension in our world right now as there's been in the past. It gets pretty real. Abram crossing the border and going, oh dear, Lord, how are you going to make all of this happen? Again, it's, it's subtlety in the narrative, but uh, this foreboding sense of dun, dun, dun. And then we're simply told the Lord appeared again to Abram. You mean he's having a bit of emotional anxiety and God in his kindness shows up to him to give him a word of comfort? I, th I think that's what happened. Hey, I know the Canaanites are here, but it's to your offspring that I'm going to give this land. Don't be afraid. I have got this figured out. And Abram's response to this gracious promise is profound. Verse 7 describes it. It just says that Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So like in the center of the land, in view of the Canaanite idols, he puts up a God to the one, he puts up a, an, an, uh, an altar to the one true uh, living God. At this point in salvation history, the altar, it's like the common feature of the day. There aren't yet the people of God who have the tabernacle and the temple. All of that's to come. So for now, people of faith, they put up these little like uh, bodega-style altars to say like, well, here's this moment. I've had this moment where God has marked me out and he puts up these little altars. And in fact, as you keep reading, you discover he puts one up here. He travels a bit more. He puts up a, another one over there, all over this land that God has, has promised. 
I think it's his way of symbolically uh, like claiming the land for himself. Civil engineers, they put their tripods up and they mark out the land. I, I think he's putting his altar up here and he's marking out the land. He's actually doing what Noah did after Noah uh, dedicated the cleansed earth to the Lord by building an altar to the Lord. So Abram now dedicates the promised land to the Lord. He's saying, hey, this is going to belong uh, to us because God has declared it to be so. Someone I was reading said it's, it's kind of like uh, Abram's actions are like that of the American soldiers in the uh, Second World War, raising the American flag on the island of Iwo Jima in the Pacific Ocean. The, the victory is, is imminent. And Abram is planting the, the Lord's flag at strategic locations in the promised land. He's saying, hey, this is where the one true God is going to be worshipped. The altars mark out God's commitment. I think they're like these moments of opportunity for Abram to express his, his devotion to God. He like puts one up and he says, Lord, I, I just want you to know that I, that I trust you and I believe in you. I, I rely on you. I need you. I'm your servant. I don't think the action point is for you to go build altars this week. <laughs> But it may be a point where through the routine of your day, you pause and you say, Lord, I just want you to know that I trust you, that wherever you have me go, that I know that you're with me. I want to obey you because, yeah, I know that you love me. Little acts of devotion, expressions of faith. You see, what we see Abram do really is an example for us as Christian people who walk by faith because... This call from God for Abram has within it this call to abandon the, the normal sources of personal identity and security for him. God says, you now belong to me, therefore I need you to leave behind your homeland and even some of your family. Because those things symbolize for you familiarity and certainty, and part of what I'm doing is calling you to leave all those things behind. So God is saying, I don't want you to trust those things as a source of hope. I want you to trust me all the way and, and every way. That's how the Christian life begins. If you're thinking about uh, the consideration of Christianity, you must recognize that it begins with a step away from what you've been comfortable with. So that you'll say, well, I can't trust those things. I've got to trust Him. You'll note here that there are, there are no obligations placed on Abram to maintain these promises from God. He's just got to respond to the Lord's invitation in an act of loyalty. He's got to leave and follow. He's got to listen and respond. He's got to take a step from the known to the unknown. Abraham is essentially, Scott is essentially saying to him, Abram, I'm, I'm going to do something wonderful that will change your life, but you've got to leave behind all that you've trusted in the past. I promise it'll be worth it, but will you trust me? Again, I say that's how you begin the Christian life, but there are often moments in the Christian life where you revisit this all over again. You go, you are Lord of my life, right? Are there things that I must put some distance between me? One author I was reading, he, he put Abram's situation like this. Having heard from God, he abandoned his lifelong home, denied his culture, disconnected from his family, left his friends, sacrificed his real estate earnings, and threw away any future he may have planned or hoped for. The call of faith, the call to follow God in faith, it's, it's radical. 
It's a step away from the old to something new. It's a step to something exclusive. If you know your New Testament, you'll go, you mean kind of like what Jesus said that one time that completely undid people? Yeah. When he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus wants you to hate your family and hate your your life? What's that all about? After all, Jesus seems to have affection for his own mom, so what's he getting out about here? Well, of course, you know that his point is that his followers must uh, put him first and not their family. The call to follow Jesus means that you put him first and not any other relationship in your life as first. It's not an excuse to neglect family responsibilities or duties, but it is a clear matter of priority. Jesus is saying, I'm to be number one in your life, and everything and everyone else is to fall into place under me and behind me. I'm not going to have it in any other way, and you're going to be miserable if you try to go about it in any other way. It's a radical call. So uh, let me link up the stories like this. Uh, Let's uh, link up what God says to Abram and Jesus says to his disciples with with this question right here. Uh, Christian person, maybe especially, if God were to have you leave your comfort zone right now to take on the challenge of the unfamiliar, are you prepared to respond and go? Maybe the question is so timely for you because for the past few months, you've had this stirring that God may be opening up a new chapter of life for you. It may be something radical to be a Christian worker, to be a a Christian missionary. the, The question you have to be able to ask and answer is, are you open to his uprooting of you? Or he may not uproot you, but he just may move you out of your comfort zone. Uh, Maybe he's actually uh, focusing your eyes on the things that are more near to you. You've just had this niggling sense, like, I think I'm supposed to. If so, do you trust the Lord's character enough to obey him without having all of the details worked out? I I wish I could give you a better answer than this, but this is the best I can give you. Every choice to follow God's leading involves uncertainty. Every choice to follow God's leading involves uncertainty. You are not going to have all of the answers. But are you able to quiet yourself down, to settle down your fears for your desires to fall into place because you know that you can trust Him, because you know that He's good? You may have done so. That's how you became a Christian. You got a point, though, where you need to renew your faith in Him. I, I, I do trust you. I'm open to your uprooting of me, your redirecting of me. Friends, no, no matter what our our ages, our our life situation may be. In one sense, there isn't a complete mystery about what it means to walk with God by faith. Jesus says, here's what my people are to do. Go and take the gospel to all of the nations of the world to be a blessing to all of uh, God's people here on earth. And in that way, we like Abraham, Abraham are to hear God's directive to Uh, Contextualize it to to be God's people in your schools this week In your places of of employment To to walk into certain relationship contexts with the intent of like how can I bring God's blessing to the people who are here? To a passage like this says hey you were to live for Jesus and talk about Jesus in, in coffee shops and in the bakeries that we spend time in 
God has blessed us with a, with a gospel, and we're to bless the people in our lives with his uh, good news. It's one of the reasons that why local churches are so important. And even what's happening to us in ways that we don't yet fully recognize right now, because these are times and places for us to gather so that we might be blessed by God's word, by, by God's meal, even by the company of God's people. We're to gather, to receive afresh, to be reminded of his unmerited blessings to us in the Lord Jesus. And then we're to scatter, to take his blessing to others, to, to be good people. To, to do good toward other people uh, Christians aren't to be sequestered communities Merely for the sake of each other But rather to be channels for God's grace And blessings to flow to others So we, we gather afresh to receive uh, the, the blessings of God's kindness to us In the Lord Jesus And then we scatter from here And we take those blessings to others You gather, you, you scatter So you take this passage and you say Well Lord, I want to bless the nations this week Maybe I'll just start with my neighbors I bless my neighbors this week With the good news about Jesus I bless the people in our communities With acts of, of forgiveness And, and justice and, and kindness You read a passage like this And you say I want to follow in the example of Abram He responded by obedience to God And he did so believingly so And immediately so Let's let this passage prompt each of us to follow God's leading in our lives with immediacy and obedience. After all, where would, be, where would we be as the Christian church if Abram and Sarai hadn't obeyed and trusted God? They left their home, they went to a new land so that God might give humanity a new beginning. And because of their obedient faith, Abraham and Sarah ultimately gave to the world, the Jewish nation, the scriptures, and of course, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. One of my study Bibles puts it like this. In the fullness of time, the world would see the true and ultimate son of Abraham enter human history, bringing decisive clarity to what it means to call on the name of the Lord, namely, to repent and turn to faith in Jesus Christ. For he bore the ultimate punishment in our place, not by being sacrificed on an altar, but by being laid out on a cross Which is to say what's promised to Abram Finds particular expression in Israel But then ongoing fulfillment Through God's people in the church Because in even greater ways Jesus fulfills what is promised to Abram It's through Jesus that God's blessing Comes to the whole world You remember how Abram He puts up these little altars Claiming the land in fulfillment Of the promise of God for generations to come well, in that way, Abram prefigures his descendant, Jesus Christ, who worked to reclaim the whole world for the kingdom of God through his cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus died to atone for the sins of the whole world. He rose again to spread the kingdom of God from sea to sea. So it's, it's through the gospel that God blesses us that we might be a blessing to others. And his great concern is that the whole world might be blessed. Christian church, this is the mission that once again comes to us today. God called Abram and Sarah and later Israel to, to redeem Canaan for his kingdom. So Christ calls his church to reclaim all nations of the kingdom of God for himself, to make the gospel known. Because one day and a day yet to come, the earth is going to be restored, and it's going to be restored back to a place like paradise, like the garden, but it's not going to be a garden. It's going to be a city. A city in which God's people dwell 
in which we have fulfilled and flourishing lives. We have meaningful work that we'll do in God's creation. We'll we'll enjoy wonderful relationships with each other. And above all, we will have uh, unbridled, uh, we'll have close fellowship with God himself. Because in the future day, in the new creation, what was lost in the garden is going to get put back together in the new Jerusalem, which will be the restored earth and God's gifts, God's gift to his people. And then at that place, we will discover the depths of blessing. We will discover what it means to be God's people in his place, joyfully living under his blessed rule.